Brian Sussman here. Welcome everyone to the Hidden Headlines podcast. This is episode 55. I am coming out of my self-imposed media hibernation because I feel some critical elements of the current healthcare crisis are not being properly brought into the light by the majority of media reporters and commentators. I'm watching the news. I just couldn't take it. Now, about the media hibernation, the sabbatical, if you will, this is something that I was encouraged to do at the behest of family and friends. As you know, I had a health crisis that caused me to have to step away from the microphone, the live microphone of my morning radio show. And everyone thought it was best if I just take a step back and and chill for a while. And I still plan on the chill. I told you in my last media post I'd probably come back in three months and give you an update. As it turns out, it's less than a month that I'm giving you an update and then some. But regarding the health... I'm slowly but surely doing better. The long-term prognosis is really uplifting. There will be no serious permanent consequences to what I experienced. I appreciate your thousands of prayers and your many, many words of encouragement. I have purposefully never proclaimed exactly what the diagnosis is regarding my health. And I've done this on purpose because I know what will happen. I will hear from countless people who really have great intentions on on a cure. My cousin did this. My brother did this. I did this. Thank you for thinking of me, but no thanks. I've I've got something really great going on that's working. Um, Also, if I were to give you the language that describes what's what 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 my problem is, uh, some of you would say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Can I tell you something? And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I am not sorry about this. I view this affliction as my thorn in the flesh, to quote the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. I believe God allowed this to happen for a reason, to get my attention, to cause me to pull back, for me to value what really is important in this life and focus on that. So I'm in uh, good doctor's care, and a lot of people are really, really helping me out. Uh, The meds, if you will, (laughs) seem to be working slowly but surely, and uh, I'm feeling really positive about the future. Now, enough about me. Let's talk about this coronavirus. It's real. My 24-year-old son, Josh, lives in Switzerland, and he had it. And my wife and I would talk to him via WhatsApp, and during the course of his illness, it was apparent the virus was akin to a very rough version of the flu, and it lasted, in his case, for the better part of a month. That said, from a purely mathematical standpoint, purely mathematical. This epidemic is not statistically significant. No one in the mainstream media really wants to go there. But percentage-wise, the virus, thankfully, kills very few people from a statistical point of view. And we need to be grateful for that. It also must be emphasized that those who do lose their life do experience 
terrible respiratory distress. So when it takes you out, this disease takes you out big time. And that's why my wife and I are doing our very best to protect her 95-year-old parents from getting this awful illness. It should also be noted that forecasters at the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington School of Medicine, pretty darn good program, examined the latest COVID-19 data at a local, national, and international level. This was within the last week or so. Now, as of this particular podcast, the U.S. death toll for the pandemic is now past 1,000 with 68,000 confirmed infections. Now, that doesn't include the many thousands more who likely had the virus but were never seen by medical professionals. They just thought it was a severe cold or the flu, and they never went to the doctor. We may be, according to, again, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, we may be on a path to more than 80,000 deaths in the United States alone. The concern is that severely infected patients will overwhelm hospital capacity nationally perhaps as soon as April, early April. So this is just a few weeks from this recording. And as a result, as a result, these social distancing measures are being put in place and I think for the most part being respected. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. That stated, our government's plan to deal with this virus is to close businesses and urge otherwise healthy people to shelter in place. Now, I'm going to say something that I haven't heard anybody else say. This is never, what we're seeing right now with these shelter in place uh, warnings has never been done before. In the past, shelter in place orders were given to protect a population from natural disasters, storms, floods, terrorist attacks, mass shootings, Now, in terms of health, we've experienced quarantines in the past where the sick are mandatorily kept from the general population. However, never in history has the confinement of a healthy population been used to fight a disease. Now, some would argue the current shelter-in-place is a wise move. But let us not be so naive to think in the future that such a command could be used by power-hungry politicians to better control the masses, as I will explain in just a couple minutes. What's particularly troubling about this virus is the lack of a cure. What's also troubling is the fact that there are a multitude of players, both nationally and internationally, who are gaming this sickness to their advantage, as I will also explain. And of course, that has a lot to do with this $2.2 trillion aid package that as of today was just passed by the Congress and is going to Donald Trump's desk for signature. All that said, give this another couple weeks and it's easy to predict that those who will have blown through their free government money, I don't know how quickly those checks are going to be issued, but there are going to be some people that get thousands of dollars. So it's just a matter of time before people blow through that money and they're without funds to buy food or booze or pot or gas or dog food or whatever. And you're going to start to see people go stir crazy. And perhaps that's when the shelter in place 
will voluntarily include business owners boarding up shop, residents boarding up their houses, and residents also making sure security systems, including those of the Second Amendment variety, are up to speed. Now let's talk about the shelter in place for just a moment. Shelter in place started right here in the San Francisco metro area where I'm broadcasting from. All residents were told to shelter in place in response to the coronavirus. Now, many other jurisdictions have since followed suit, but it started right here in the liberal epicenter of America, the San Francisco Bay Area. Residents are still, at least here, permitted to travel to buy food, to see a doctor, to help care for family members. Uh, I have a son who works in the Silicon Valley, and in order for him to go back and forth to work, he has a, a, an ID card that he's been told to present to authorities in the event he's pulled over by the police. Uh, visitors to the region are permitted to go home. Residents can take part in outdoor activities, walking, hiking, as long as they keep a distance of six feet. So that's the shelter in place. That's the shelter in place. Officially, the definition of a quarantine, that's something completely different, but I think we need to go there because, again, the rest of the media is not. Quarantine is the seclusion of a person potentially exposed to a disease for a period of time to see if they're infected. So a person under quarantine typically stays in one place to avoid nearly all contact with the outside world. Quarantines are ordered by the government. Quarantines are illegal to violate. Breaking a federal quarantine is punishable by fine or imprisonment. This is according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. An individual found violating a federal quarantine order can face a fine up to $100,000 or jail or both or both. So this is on the record. That's a quarantine. That's that's serious stuff. Many states also have their own punishments for violating a quarantine, uh, but they vary wild, uh, wildly. And um, right now, again, it's shelter in place. It's social distancing. It's being suggested or recommended. Uh, for example, the Trump administration, they urge people across the country not to attend gatherings of more than 10 people. But other localities have looser recommendations. In Utah, uh, they're banning gatherings of more than 100 people. So it's varying throughout the country. The shelter in place is different than a quarantine. Social distancing, well, it is, I would guess, an effective way to slow down the infection rate for COVID-19 here in the United States. And public health experts have emphasized that to flatten the curve or to spread the rate of new infections out over time, will ensure that America's healthcare system is not overwhelmed with new infections. And that is a big worry at this time, as of course you probably have heard. America's system of responding to public health emergencies is fragmented, to say the least. Decisions on whether to implement social distancing or quarantine measures are split between federal, state, and local public health departments, of which there are about 3,000. So the way it works right now is 27% of states delegate this power solely to state authorities. 
18% of states provide some power to local governments, and the remaining 55% delegate the powers to some combination of both. So it's very fragmented how we go forward in this environment with the social distancing and the shelter in place. When travelers come from abroad, from other countries, decisions for an individual quarantine rest solely with the federal government. So quarantines can be imposed by the feds. But large-scale lockdown policies, well, may not be, constitutionally speaking. And the U.S. courts are not used to dealing with these sorts of cases. And no one truly knows how a judge might rule in the future if we get to that point. Neither federal nor state governments have clear authority. We're going to cross this bridge at some point in time, probably sooner than later. Restricting travel between states, by the way, um, is, is not really clear. It makes it difficult to justify any sort of domestic travel restrictions, at least in a court of law. But again, we're venturing into new territory. We'll have to watch this carefully. Meantime, some U.S. lawmakers do want to see a national shelter in place at least for two weeks. We've got a representative here in California, super liberal guy, Ro Khanna is his name. He circulated a letter in Congress calling for immediate orders for a national two-week shelter in place. So this would be instituted by the federal government. This is where you might see it brought forward in a court and then God knows what might happen. Checkpoints, question mark? Randomly demanding to know where people are going. Instituting a police state is what I think of when I think of that. Listen, no one wants to see this virus spread, but at the same time, this could be an opportunity for power-hungry, crooked, evil politicians to start gain, gain further control on the population. Would a national shelter-in-place order make a federal crime? Out of such a violation? Well, I would say, let's hope not. That's, that's a police state. I don't want that. You don't want that. Who would enforce the national shelter in place? What penalties would it bring? Who would decide to extend the ban? Two weeks? Three weeks? Four weeks? How long at a time? Under what circumstances? Would local governments still get to determine for themselves what businesses and services and types of travel are essential? Or would that be up to the feds? Listen, this is a scary prospect. It doesn't matter which party is in power. Freedom is at risk. Now let's talk about China. China is a communist country, always has been. And for, uh, for the foreseeable future, always will be. The Chinese are not to be trusted. They are our enemy with a smile on their face. I was not offended by President Trump referring to this illness as the China virus. Now, allow me to explain. All indications are that COVID-19 originated in an open-air wet market in Wuhan, China. Many experts are convinced the virus was transferred from a bat, a bat, not, not a baseball bat, a flying bat, an animal, considered by the Chinese to be a delicacy that supposedly improves poor vision. So the disease 
was transferred from a bat to a human. Now, such a viral transfer from animal to human is not unprecedented in China. And by the way, go online and look at some of these markets for yourself. They are beyond grotesque. Some of you have seen them in person. My gosh, if you go to Chinatown in San Francisco, you can still see a little of this before your very eyes. They will, they will butcher live chickens and live ducks before your very eyes with a cleaver that hasn't been washed in God knows how long. Such a viral transfer from animal to human. Again, not unprecedented in China. In these wet markets, you see exotic animals, birds, dogs, cats, monkeys, bats, livestock, slaughtered with these filthy cleavers for basically takeout. You know, if you go back to the quote-unquote Old Testament, if you go back to the Torah, the Jewish Bible, when God presented Moses with the kosher dietary laws, it's all in the book of Leviticus, you can see so for yourself. It seems a little weird on the outset, but God did this for a reason. Because he knew for the sake of health, sanitation, human lives, sanctity of life, that bad things could happen when you eat, consume these animals. The stuff sold as consumable food in these markets is not to be eaten by humans for a reason because we can become sick and we can die. Now, continuing with China, what isn't being widely reported is that in November, as COVID-19 was spreading in Wuhan, China, the Communist Party's primary concern at that time was ensuring that the local People's Congress gathering in Wuhan in January would take place as planned ahead of the National People's Congress Assembly in March. So this was a big assembly. It was, the, it was a, a local congressional gathering in this city of millions in Wuhan. That was to take place in January. COVID was breaking out. But the communist government wanted to pretend as if it was business as usual. They wanted this People's Congress gathering to take place in January. Then on top of that, on top of that, you had a spread of infections that took place throughout November, December, December and into January. Chinese New Year is in January. Nearly half of Wuhan's population... They say that half of their population would be millions of people left the city for their various Chinese New Year holiday plans without any objection from local authorities. So the virus was carried to other parts of China and then around the world, leading to this pandemic. So when Donald Trump calls it the China virus, he does so with a purpose. Now let's talk about the Republicans in Congress here in the United States getting played. $2.2 trillion being spent to fight the coronavirus. The Republicans in our Congress were suckered into a $2.2 trillion emergency aid package with outlandish proposals, which I will detail. No one, no one had the time to read the final language in these bills they voted for. No one, absolutely no one. $2.2 trillion. That's just over 10% of the U.S. gross domestic product. 
This is a big deal. Allow me to dive into these details for you here on Hidden Headlines. Again, 10% of the U.S. GDP. And by the way, Congress is already bickering. Oh, yes, they're already bickering. Because they're saying, Nancy Pelosi is saying, for example, this bill doesn't go far enough. We're going to need more spending. So we are likely to be in this same situation again soon. And another bill will likely be necessary to get the economy running after this COVID-19 outbreak has been contained. So prepare for another massive spending bill. Now, if these spending bills were purely, purely developed to get rid of COVID and help bring our economy back to health, I'd be all for it. But that's not the case. In this bill, there are unprecedented direct payments to individuals, $1,200 a person, $500 per child, even for those who have no income, plus extended and upgraded unemployment insurance for gig workers. Now, the liberals are already saying a one-time payment is too small and it will exclude too many. Listen, this money's not going to last long. Just depending on where you live in this country, maybe it'll pay for your rent for a month. Maybe it's going to buy some food. But sadly, most people, or at least a large percentage of people in this country, do not have any savings. And as such, they're going to be in deep trouble really, really fast. And that's when the liberals will have another opportunity for handouts. The legislation includes $150 billion for state and local governments. Too bad these local and state governments are not financially secure. Wouldn't it be great if if everybody just had their house in order and had what we used to call a rainy day fund, right? I mean, there, there was a time when people who were, well, where it was just a good idea to have a rainy day fund. Do you have money to last in case of, in, here in California, there's an earthquake. Do you have some money to get through it? If there's a flood, if there's a national disaster, if there's a terrorist attack, if there's a whatever. But the days of the rainy fund, rainy day fund are, are long gone. And this will only make that old adage of a rainy day fund more old and outdated it includes 350 billion dollars for small businesses 500 billion dollars for large companies and loans and loan guarantees and other investments moody's moody's is a rating agency they warn that outright debt defaults and liquidations are likely for many businesses especially smaller firms and those with speculative grade credit ratings And by the way, there are some very large publicly traded companies that have very poor credit ratings. Moody's said this, most companies can cope with a 50 to 30 day lockdown, but a few additional weeks would likely exhaust available resources for a significant number. This crisis is beyond what they are reasonably prepared for, and that's why the federal government needs to step in. Okay, maybe it's true. Maybe this will be the cure that, that, um, maybe this is, This is the cure that will keep this economy on track down the line. But I can tell you this, 3.4 million people filed for unemployment insurance the week before last. 3.4 million. That's the highest level in history. That's nearly five times the highest level of claims seen during the Great Recession. And this is likely just the first data point in a string of bad reports to come. I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but I'm just telling you the facts that I'm not getting from the mainstream media.
That's why we have hidden headlines. Okay, now let's continue. President Trump, he's cheering the senators for their unanimous support and the Congress for its nearly unanimous support of the coronavirus funding. What he's actually thrilled for, I believe, is the fact that this congressional this congressional come together, this kumbaya moment is another step in assuring his victory in November. I'm serious. The $2 trillion does add to the national debt. But I will say this for the Trump administration. During these last three-plus years, the national debt has only risen 10%. During the eight years of the Obama administration, it rose 100%. So we've got an additional 10%. So we're at a little over 20% now. It's, it's better than it could have been had you had, for example, oh, I don't know, a Hillary Clinton as president. Now let's dive into the details of this $2.2 trillion monster. You ready for this? Nancy Pelosi's bill in the House uses the words diversity or diverse 63 times. Talk to me about the coronavirus. What what does diversity or diverse have to do with the coronavirus? It's an equal opportunity killer. It includes the version of uh, the word inclusion 14 times. It includes the word minority 109 times. See, that's why you need to take this podcast and share it with people. You're not going to get this from the mainstream media. It was Rahm Emanuel. Do you remember Rahm Emanuel? He's, of course, I believe he's still the mayor of Chicago, but he was in the White House of the Obama administration. He was an advisor to the president. And during the country's last big emergency, he was known to say, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. See, Nancy Pelosi is doing the same thing. This is the Democrats. This is the liberal Democrats mantra. See a crisis, take advantage of it. And the Republicans have fallen prey. Pelosi's Corona relief bill is a pork barrel for programs that would force corporations receiving government aid to implement diversity and inclusion initiatives. Has nothing to do with combating COVID-19. Minority, used 109 times. As it lays money aside for large and small projects based on national divisions that depend on race and ethnicity and sex. This is not showing compassion for those in need. This is abusing the coronavirus emergency to reorder America. Oh, stick with me, folks. This gets even better or worse, as the case may be. This is not showing compassion for those in need. Listen to this. Title V of Pelosi's bill, Investing in a Sustainable Recovery, has a section entitled Improving Corporate Governance Through Diversity, and another section entitled Diverse Investment Advisors. You read the legislation, and apparently nobody in the Congress did. It states, 
Any corporation that receives federal aid to COVID-19 must maintain officials and budget dedicated to diversity and inclusion for no less than five years after disbursement of funds. The oversight panel set up to distribute the funds, quote, shall collect diversity data from any corporation that receives federal aid related to COVID-19 and issue a report that will be made publicly available no later than one year after the disbursement of funds. The report must include, okay, so if you work for a business that has received federal aid, here's what your business now has to do. Report gender race, and ethnic identity for the total number of employees, both full-time and part-time. The number and dollar value invested with minority and owned and women-owned suppliers, including professional services and asset managers, and deposits and other accounts with minority depository institutions as compared to all vendor investments. Listen, folks, if you know anything about me, you know that racism isn't my bag okay you, you know if you know anything about me and my family this is stupid they're shoving this down our throats pelosi's legislation would require companies to hand over to the government demographic data on their corporate boards the reporting structure of lead diversity issues issue uh, officials would also have to be noted the size of the budget and the staff of offices dedicated to diversity and exclusion would also have to be noted. What what does this have to do with combating the coronavirus or getting our economy back to normal? I told you what, of course, Rahm Emanuel said, never let a crisis go to waste, essentially. Well, now here's the new version of that. It's House Majority Whip James Clyburn. He's the Democrat from South Carolina. In a conference call last week, according to the Hill newspaper, as they were ramping up for this bill, he said, quote, this is a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. Excellent reporting by the Daily Signal on this, by the way. Hats off to Mike Gonzalez. Good job, man. You're the, you're the only guy out there that's championing the cause. And can I tell you something else about Pelosi? This isn't the end for her. She wants more. She wants more. She wants a second round of emergency checks. She was already talking about that yesterday. Again, they signed the bill. It's on Trump's desk today. Yesterday, she was saying that Americans would likely see more direct checks in a future coronavirus relief package. They're taking advantage of this crisis. It's as if they don't want it to come to an end. This is Nancy Pelosi. We haven't seen the end of direct payments. This is Nancy Pelosi. This is what she's doing. This is her goal. This is her ambition. This is flat-out evil. Oh, and then what else is in the bill? Well, $25 million in the Senate bill went to the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. (laughs) Talk to me about COVID. You know, during this shelter in place, they're not even allowed to have events. They have total assets of almost $600 million. Pelosi just gave them $35 million more. The corporate for public broadcasting, you know, NPR. Why does National Public Radio get a coronavirus subsidy? $75 million in the Senate bill, 
Pelosi, $300 million. Why do the airline companies need $1.2 billion to purchase renewable jet fuel? Renewable jet fuel. <laughs> Why does the Senate bill allow the Food and Drug Administration to speed up the review of sunscreen products? Sunburn is not tied to the coronavirus, by the way. But it can occur if you drink too many Coronas on the beach, I suppose. Oh, I've got you. You want more? I've got more. Oh, yes, I do. How about this? How about this? $25 billion to public transit operators like the metro and subway systems. How about $221 million for corporations to improve teleworking capabilities, you know, work from home? <laughs> Anybody with a flipping computer can get a free app for that. Just try Zoom. And then there's Boeing, one of the biggest winners in all of this, Boeing which has struggled long before the coronavirus pandemic hit. They get $17 billion in loans for what the bill calls businesses critical to maintaining the national security. Businesses. Can I tell you something? Boeing got hurt when the 737 MAX fleet a year ago was grounded after two deadly crashes in five months. But before that, Boeing was in financial stress long before that. So now Boeing, one of the world's largest aircraft manufacturers, gets some money. Is this playing favorites by the Trump administration? Well, I know that Donald Trump did say earlier this week, quote, we're not letting Boeing go out of business. At any rate, thanks for allowing me to pop off. It's been a pleasure to get behind the microphone once again. I'm not sure exactly when I'll be back, but this sabbatical, this hiatus, this hibernation has been really good for me as I just get grounded, as I am able to observe the lay of the land, cherish those I love, spend some time in, in fellowship with the, with the good Lord who saved me, and also just reflect on what a wonderful life that I've had thus far and what a wonderful life I'm anticipating to have going down the line. May you, my friend, allow the God of heaven to richly bless you, no matter what the circumstances may hold. Brian Sussman. And I will now hang up on myself. <laughs>